Well, hey, thanks for being with us here in the room. Thanks for joining us online this morning. My name is Mike. If you're first time here, uh, I'm Mike. I'm the lead pastor. And we're in a series. We started a series uh, last week called Some Assembly Required. And I've got to, I, I don't know that I was a fan of that name because every time I say Some Assembly Required, it, I cringe because it makes me think of Ikea. And honestly, when I buy furniture, I don't want to have to put it together. Why should I have to put it together? I just paid for it. And, uh, uh, and, and some friends this past week sent me a picture of a sofa they had just purchased at Ikea, and they were putting together. So it made me think, I should, you know, I should show you all a picture of the book that I bought uh, at Ikea as well. And <laughs> All right, but you're just encouraging me. Listen, um, last week I shared something that Paul said to Timothy And I want you to hear it again, uh, and you'll hear it actually for the next couple of weeks. It's really this idea springs out, this series springs out of this passage. Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And we all know that physical training has some value, right? How many of you, raise your hands please, how many of you do some sort of physical, you know, something during the week? even if it's just getting out of bed. Uh, Although that'd be the low bar on this, right? But we understand. We understand. But Paul says the same thing is true of our faith. In other words, with our faith, and this is what we call it this, there's some assembly required. And it's important. I want to make sure you hold on to that because Paul says, look at the last part of the verse. It holds promise for both the present life and the life to come. So the life that we're living now, there's something about these things that we do that, that has value for right now, but it also somehow plays a part in what's to come. And I want to be real clear so that we don't misunderstand what part it plays. This is not about earning your salvation. We can't do that. Paul has very clearly told us that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not anything that we do so that no one can boast. But for those of us who have already given our lives to Jesus, these things that we're talking about somehow propel us on our journey to become like him. And I would add this, that for those of us who have not yet made a commitment to Jesus, these things help us understand him more and who he's calling people to be. It helps us to understand that a little bit more as well. So what is it that helps us become like Jesus? Last week, if you missed it, we talked about the by far number one, nothing even comes close Uh, spiritual discipline that propels us forward. I hope if you miss it that you'll catch it online. Today we're going to talk about the number two catalyst, the second second habit uh, or discipline uh, or action. If you put it into play, this is the next, what helps you most next. And it's not just about you. It's about us. So this next thing we're talking about, it isn't just about you. It's about us as a congregation as well. So if you have the Version Bible app, uh, you'll find our notes there in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 11. And as we look at this, I want you to know that this is the model we operate under here at MCC. So as you listen to this, you need to understand this is the way we operate because we believe this is what we are called to as a church. So Paul would write this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, or in other words, just every teaching that comes down the road by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in uh, every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is doing, is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I wonder, as you look through those, and if you've got your notes or your Bible open, you can kind of look through those, that passage. If you were to pull phrases out of the kind of person that you want to be or the kind of church that you want to be a part of, if you would pull out phrases that Paul wrote like building up, or unity of the faith of, uh, in the knowledge of the Son of God, or mature, or the stature of the fullness of Christ, or no longer children, or not being fooled by every new teaching, or speaking the truth in love, or growing up every way into Christ, or builds itself up in love. Does that not sound like the kind of church that you want to be a part of? Does that not sound like the kind of church that's going to make a difference, not just in here, but it's going to make a difference outside these walls as well? Because the question is, if that's really what you're wanting to shoot at, well, how do we pull that off? How do we accomplish that? And if you would, let's read the six words that are in yellow on the screen. This is how this happens. Are you ready? Let's do it together. When each part is working properly. When each part is working properly. When all of us, each of us, that includes you, is working properly, it begins to happen. And maybe you've asked this question Can God really use me to help a church today, specifically MCC? Would he he really, could he really use me to help us become that kind of place? And I just want to say this, according to Scripture, until he is using you, we cannot become that kind of church. And so how do we do this? And these are in the notes. I want to make sure you can take this home because you may need to think about this a little bit. If I'm going to live on mission... In my relationship with Jesus and as part of his church, I have to recognize my role in the church. And everyone in this room, by the way, everyone has a role. We all, if, if everybody is found in verses 11 and 12. Check this out. I changed uh, the translation or so that you could, or the version so you could sit, hear these words a little bit differently. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. What I want to make sure that you catch that Paul is saying is that in a healthy church, in a growing church, that some are equippers. God has called some in the church, gifted some in our body here, equipped some of his people to equip other people to do his work. Now, you may have heard this saying, right? Uh, Those who can do, those who can't teach, and everyone else goes into ministry. Uh, But that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Uh, But when I look at this passage, do you you know what God is saying to me? Saying, Mike, if if you want MCC to be a healthy, growing church that pleases me, it's when you will realize that it's not your job to do all the jobs at the church. Your job is to help equip other people to use their gifts. For example, uh, do you know uh, uh, Megan and Michelle and Eric? 
uh, what their jobs are. They are on staff here. They are our next-gen staff. They work with our nursery preschool, elementary, and student ministry. So just born all the way up to young adults. But their job, I just want to make it clear to you, their job is not to teach all of the classes, to lead all of the songs, and to run our, our children through the classroom. Uh, although they could. They could because all three of them love children and students. They love them, and they can, t- they can teach the lights out around here. Uh, and, but, and they could do that. They're great. But that's not their job. Their job is to equip others to love our children and help them come to know Jesus. Our job as staff is to equip. God has given some the gift and the responsibility to equip others. Some are equippers. We're all workers. All of us are workers. So on the notes again, I live on mission when I do his work. And I just want to make sure you see that because the idea is we equip God's people to do his work. And if you're one of God's people, Paul's talking to you. Today is directed right at you. As a matter of fact, uh, in, in Ephesians 2.10, we read, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared, prepared in advance for us to do. We were made for this, and there were some things made for us to do. On the version notes, uh, in talking about this, James Smart said this, Jesus was not satisfied in having a succession of audiences to which he might proclaim his gospel, although he could have. He could have had thousands and thousands and thousands of people listening to him. He could have traveled from place to place. Even still today, thousands of people will gather in his name to listen to messages, but that was not why Jesus came. He was primarily interested in having disciples in whom and through whom his ministry would be multiplied many times over. But to do that, we have to recognize our role around here, right? Some are equippers. All of us are workers, and that verse helps us realize the big picture. Now, I'm going to zero in on one word. It's in verse 12. It's the word equip. I'm telling you that because the very first time that we see that word uh, in the Gospels, in the Greek language, uh, is in Matthew chapter 4. The context is that Jesus has called Peter and Andrew and James and John to follow him. And so this is sort of the setting. That's what's going on. And so we read this in Matthew 4, 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father preparing their nets. Now, the King James Version, uh, instead of saying the word prepare, uses the word mending. And I just want you to know that uh, there are three words uh, from verse 12 into this that that we translate three different ways. We use three different English words for this one Greek word. So we say equip, we've said prepare, and we say mend. It's all the same word. So I want you to understand the picture that Paul's audience would have gotten right away from what he was saying. And so these are on your notes. This is really important, and it may play into why you are here today. First, mending is never done. When it comes to mending, it's never done. It's this process. Fishermen are never done mending their nets. It's never completed. It's never over. Every day after fishing, uh, when you read Scripture, when you see Jesus coming up on fishermen who have just finished fishing, what are they doing? mending their nets. They would bring in the nets with the fish on the hull that they had, and then they would fix the net where the fish had uh, uh, torn it apart. They never had a day where they said, well, I think I'm done mending this net once and for all. I don't think it's ever going to be a problem again. Every day they would mend their nets, and then they would go fish, and only to come back and do what? Mend those nets again. Mending nets is never ending. Preparing people is never ending. 
It is a continuous project. Uh, we are never done. There's never going to be a time this side of heaven that we can say we are fully equipped. Or, or even more pertinently, we're, never, we're not fully discipled. We're always growing as disciples of Jesus. Uh, uh, I heard of an ex-pastor who became a funeral director. I don't know if there's some sort of correlation there. But uh, a guy asked him, why would you leave ministry to go work in the funeral business? And he said, you know, the ministry, honestly, it's a mess. See, I, Sue, I remember Sue from my congregation she was, I tried to help her dry out. She was addicted to alcohol, and, and she got out for a moment, but within a year, she was right back at it again. And I, I, remember, I remember Joe, I tried to help him straighten out his, his marriage and, and get it all in line, and it's still a bad marriage. In fact, that, that marriage has ended. Uh, he said, but I became a funeral director because here when I straightened somebody up, Maybe in the funeral home, but not here. Doesn't happen here. Continuous. Second, I want to make sure you notice that you mend nets for the purpose of work. Mended nets are not for display. This is not red lobster, all right? I want to make sure you catch that. As soon as they're mended, they go fishing one more time because they have the equipment that they need. Listen, when we, when we receive, if we just sit in this room, if all we do is receive and we never give, we're like sponges that fill up. And they can only become so full and then the water just starts pouring off of them rather than being squeezed. On the other hand, if we go to the other extreme and we give without receiving, we become faint. You can only go so long before you take in solid food, biblical teaching. It's why fishermen prepared nets. It's why we prepare people. We have come here. You are here to be prepared for the purposes of work. This gathering is not our end. Not everything, nothing, it's not like everything we do is to get you here for this. We come together so that we can prepare, so we can be mended for ministry. The next one I want to make sure you get is mended nets are an extension of the fisherman. I don't know, maybe you have, but I've never seen a fisherman dive over the side of the boat, out swim the fish and catch him with his bare hands or her bare hands. I've never seen that. Now, maybe you've seen something like this. This is, uh, this is noodling. And I don't know if you've seen this or heard of this. This is interesting. Uh, they, what they do is they go down to the bottom, find the catfish nest, and then they jab their hand in the mouth of a catfish and come up with it like that. And there's no expensive equipment, and, uh, and that's shallow water. I just want to say, I'm not doing that, all right? <laughs> uh, maybe you are. I'm not doing that. But have you seen fishermen fish? Have you seen those who are out fishing use nets or spears or Zebco rod and reels? And if you're old enough, you remember the crocodile Dundee used dynamite. Uh, uh, because all of those are an extension, all of those aid the reach of the fishermen. First Corinthians says this, we are God's fellow workers. You and I work alongside our Father. Uh, in his book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey share a story about some German students who, after World War I, they volunteered to help rebuild a cathedral in England that had been damaged by the bombings. And as the work progressed, they weren't sure how best to restore this statue of Jesus that stood with its arms out and the, it bore the inscription, come unto me. And so they were able to repair all of the damage 
uh, to the statue except for his hands, which had been completely destroyed. And quite honestly, they weren't even really sure they should attempt to rebuild them. But then they made this decision to stand still today. They decided to leave the hands off of the statue and change the inscription to read, Christ has no hands but ours. Now, I hope that helps paint this picture of what Paul is talking about. God has called all of us, all of us, and his plan is that we will be continually prepared, mended to do his work, to be an extension of what he is doing in our world. Doesn't that sound like God's plan? Different people with different backgrounds, using different gifts to, uh, in different kinds of places to meet different needs, all to God's glory. Listen, that's, that's who God wants us to be. Look back at verse 16. For whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Can I just say, this is one of those passages, and there's a lot of them, where you can't just sit back in your chair and go, well, I agree with that. You can't do that. This is not a passive agree kind of thing. This is a roll up your sleeves and get to work. If you're going to agree with this, you have to roll up your sleeves and get to work. And Paul talks about all kinds of different gifts. We all have one, and we're all supposed to use them for one cause. And he talks about unity a lot when he's writing to the early church. And there's a reason for that. It's because when we work together, all pointing in one direction, we bring synergy now, there's a verse that a friend pointed out to me. It's, it's going to require a little math, which I know makes some of you extremely excited right now. Uh, Leviticus 26 offers this list of promises. If the Israelites, so they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and he says, if you will do these things, if you'll obey me, if you'll follow me, if you'll remain true to me, if you do those things, if you're obedient to my commands, let me tell you what's going to happen. And then he tells them in verse 8, he's making this promise about what it'll be like when you go in to fight for this land that I'm giving you. I'm going to give it to you, but you have to go fight for it. This is how it will go. He said, five of you will chase a hundred. A hundred of you will chase 10,000. And your enemies will fall uh, by the sword before you. Basically, a few soldiers are going to kick a little, you know, but, uh, but notice the numbers that God gave them. Did you notice the math in there? Five will chase a hundred. A hundred will chase 10,000. Now, I have a twin brother who is the math twin. You don't have the math twin. The math twin is somewhere else. But if five will chase a hundred, think about it mathematically, okay? Five will chase a hundred then 100 should chase how many? 20 times 100. (laughs) How many? 2,000, right? Someone said 2,000. If not, I'll just make that up. 2,000, all right. 5 times 20 is 100. 100 times 20 is 2,000. But what it says is 5 will chase 100, and 100 will chase how many? 10,000. Listen, I don't think Moses was bad at math. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think there's this concept that God wanted his people to understand when all of his people come together using what they have to uh, go after this cause, and it's called synergy, which is basically as a team grows larger, the amount of work it can produce increases exponentially. Five people working together can do more work than five individuals, the sum total of those five individuals. A team of dogs can pull more weight further together as a team than individually added together. Division is one of the enemy's greatest weapons against the church. Disunity within the body is the dam that holds back the power of the bride of Christ. 
Satan's strategies, one of his strategies since the beginning of time has been to destroy unity in the church, in our relationships, in our purpose. And here's the thing, Satan doesn't have to get us to be against each other. We don't have to be mad at each other. We just have to be doing our own thing, working in our own direction, not pointing in one direction. One direction, one mission, one dream. People coming together to be mended for his purpose. Verse 16, those last six words, or those six words again, as each part does its work. So that begs this question, by the way. How am I investing in the work of God here? If this is where you are, how are you investing in what God is doing here? If you're, now, if you're visiting today and you're from out of state or from another church or whatever, how are you investing in what God is doing there? How are you investing in the work? And by the way, just so you know, here and wherever you're from, spectator is not a God-given gift. That's not a gift of God, okay? Critic, not a gift of God. Uh, Peter would write this, each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. Use your gift well. We're told over and over and over again, this is the plan, this is the plan, this is the plan. Now, I do think there's a legitimate reason why some people are not involved. And this, maybe this is you, maybe this will speak to you, but there's some people who are not living on mission because they feel inadequate for the task. And maybe you've been sitting here this whole time thinking, I just don't, I don't. Maybe you know how, maybe you know how the person felt uh, who, did, who did this. Maybe you, maybe you get that, right? You understand. Or maybe the person who did this, uh, maybe you get that. I mean, you're thinking, I, I would do that. Or maybe you feel like this person. <laughs> two weeks, two weeks. Okay, listen. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I've been waiting so long to use that picture. Maybe, you're, maybe you've been thinking, I just, I just don't think I can do that, whatever that is. I, I just don't know how God could use someone like me. I mean, I see who he's using here, I just, but I'm not like them. I don't think he could use someone like me. I don't know if you've ever said that and really, I mean, believed it. Was, you, I mean, you, that was your heart. I will never forget January 1996. I was at my home church in Columbus. The lead pastor had resigned the day before uh, on a Saturday morning because of a moral failure. I was the student pastor, and our elders asked me if I wanted to speak the next morning, part of which, by the way, would be to speak right after they had announced that, that he had resigned. They would receive that news, and then I would speak. And they said, would you do that? And I looked at them, and I said, no. Uh, why? I mean, no. If I had known the line, I would have said, I, acqu- I am disinclined to acquiesce to your request. Uh, but I'd been born there. There were actually people in our congregation, literally people who had changed my diapers when I was a baby. They were still there. They had watched me grow up there. They saw me go to college and then come back and become the student pastor. They saw me get married and have children. They knew me, and I knew that what they were about to hear was just going to do some deep damage in their life and in their faith. And they needed to hear that news from someone they knew. They needed to hear a familiar voice speak to them. I don't know if you remember the story of Moses where God calls him to go to Pharaoh of Egypt. The Israelites is all Old Testament, book of Exodus. The Israelites are getting ready to depart from Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years. And God told Moses to lead them out. And this is Moses' response to God. He said, pardon your servant, Lord, I've, 
<laughs> I've never been eloquent, not neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And I remember reading that passage, thinking that Moses was just trying to bluff his way out of something he really didn't want to do, right? But in that night, in 1996, I understood. I don't know what to say to them. I don't know how to say it. Please, God, send someone else. I'm not adequate to this task. And maybe you've thought that too. Paul would write this to the church in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And I just want to make sure you understand how the early church would have received this. Paul could have said it in today's vernacular. He would have said, listen, I know you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. All right, I get it. Or he could have said, you're not the brightest bulb in the lamp. Or he might have said, you're a few, short, few fries short of a happy meal. I get that, right? I get it. And that may sound a little silly, but can I tell you, I know that feeling. He, he says, not popular, but God chose the foolish. The Greek word is moros. Guess what English word we get from that, <laughs> right? God chose the morons. I'm telling, no, I'm sharing that with you because I understand that feeling. I have felt that deeply. Weak ones mean someone whose body is weak or crippled, lowly are those of lowly birth, not from the aristocracy. You were born with a plastic spoon in your mouth, not a silver spoon. Despised ones are the ones that people look down their nose at. And last but certainly least are those who are not, which refers to people who are completely overlooked. They don't even get to be despised. They're not only not in who's who, they're not in who's not. And I know, I, I know that feeling. It felt like a thousand-pound weight sitting on top of me that night. But here's what you need to know. God doesn't need ability. He's got it in spades. He's looking for availability. He'll give you ability if you'll say yes. And it's you and me. And when we say yes to serving, it helps us become more like His Son. And Paul says it makes the church strong. There's something about us coming together that makes us more like him and helps us be strong. So if you're following Jesus, let me, just, let me make it real simple for you. If you are following Jesus, you will find a way to serve. It's a sign that you're following. That's one of the signs that tells people that we're following him. But it's not just about us. We're to help other people find their place to serve as well. That's called discipleship. I'm not just in it for me. I put my hand out, and whoever is willing, I will help them find their place to serve. So where are you serving? And who are you helping to find their place to serve as well? So here's the thing this morning. I'm not going to ask you to go to the tables in the back, although there will be people at the tables in the back this morning. I'm not going to ask you to scan the QR code that's in the seat in front of you. It'll be on the screen after services. It's all over the building, on the walls. I'm not going to ask you to go to our church center app where you could find the same information. I'm going to ask you this. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Because reading his word and doing what it says helps you more than anything else. And serving is next on the list that 
just propels you. There's something, something humbling. It's what I learned in 1996. There's just something humbling about being called into something that you, that you know you're not, you just feel like you're not equipped for. And then you find out that maybe God will continue to equip you, prepare you, mend you as you go along. You just get to answer the question, do I want to become like Jesus? So we're going to sing a song. And I hope during that song that if you're not serving, you will determine that you're going to figure out how you can. And if you are, my hope is that you will determine that you're going to help someone else find their way as well. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing, and you get to decide. Father, help us, please. We want to be a church that reflects who you are so that when people see us, they are actually catching a glimpse of you. And, we, and your word tells us what helps us do that. And we know there's some assembly required. We get that. It doesn't, we don't just sit back and it just happens to us. This is not some passive thing that you've called us to. You have called us for it. You paid the price. There's no price to pay. Now we just get to decide if we want to be like your son, which you have called us to. So we get to decide if we're going to obey you or not. Help us, Father, to become more like Jesus and to do those things that help that happen as we trust in you and Holy Spirit, as you change us from the inside out, help us so that people can see you. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name.